guys. Welcome back to the Chasing Truth podcast. I'm Presley. And I'm Grace. And we are so excited today Mm -hmm. to be talking to Autumn Lindsay. She is a pro-life activist and she works for Students for Life. Yeah. And in this episode, she's going to be sharing some common misconceptions about abortion, how you can better respond to the pro-choice people in your community, and also how you can make a difference to actively protect the lives of the unborn. Yeah. Yeah. Autumn gives tons of great advice on how to get involved in the pro-life movement, because I think so often we we know we're pro-life and we love talking about it and love debunking the left's phrases that they make for being for abortion, but um, we don't necessarily know how we can get involved or how we can mm-hmm. be working in our community to further the movement. So she provides tons of advice for that. And I also love how she tackles a lot of people, they are outspoken about abortion and they know what they're talking about, but in certain issues like what if the mother's life is in danger, Autumn actually tackles that question and provides a really clear and great consistent answer so be sure to tune in yeah she's awesome and without further ado here is autumn Lindsay. autumn thank you so much for joining us today yeah thanks for having me i'm excited to chat so are we you're so awesome and we have very much been looking forward to this so if you want to start by sharing with our audience who you are and what you do Yeah, so my name is Autumn. I work for Students Wife of America. Um, I've been in the pro-life movement since I was about 16. My journey kind of started when I saw a Teen Vogue article pop up on my Facebook newsfeed, and it was an article glamorizing abortion, and it was targeted towards teens. And I remember thinking, well, I'm a teen, and I don't agree with this. Uh, So I sat down, and I wrote a 10-minute script, um, and I filmed it the next morning, and I reached out to Students Wife of America. I had heard about them, and again, I wasn't doing anything in the pro-life movement. I was pro-life, and I knew that, but I wasn't really putting that passion into action in any way. Um, and then I reached out to Students Wife, shared this video with them. They kind of took it, shared it on their platforms, and I had no idea where it was going to go. But by the end of the day, there was about 200,000 views on this video that I had made. And then by the end of the week, there were several million. I had wow. been picked up by several different news stations, and I just remember sitting there thinking, I think that I'm being called to the pro-life movement. I think <laughs> <laughs> that I need to be doing. Yeah. Uh, but I was 16. I was still in school. I was doing speech and debate. So I interned for Students Way for a couple of years. Um, and then when I graduated, I joined with them part-time. I work from home. I live in Washington State. And then I get to travel here and there for pro-life events. So that's kind of what I do for the pro-life movement. I make videos, do social media content. Um, but it's been really fun. Uh, it's God's opened a lot of doors for me. I've got to speak at some pretty amazing conferences, pregnancy center banquets. We've been invited to the White House to meet with Vice President Mike Pence. It's me and 11 other students, which was a pretty amazing opportunity to sit there in front of the vice president and talk about the pro-life movement. But yeah, I'm just continuing to do what I can. Mm-hmm. It's been been an interesting couple of years not something that I would have expected if you told me this is what I would be doing you know five years ago I probably wouldn't have believed you but yeah I, am. I love it so awesome so could you share why you're so dedicated to defending life and why you I mean why do you care so much about defending life in the yeah. womb I get this question a lot, especially too, because the pro-life movement does take a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always easy. It's kind of nitty gritty, right? A lot of work. Um, and it's not the most glamorous thing to do, right? But in my mind, I think, you know, if we know that life begins at conception, which we do, that's a scientific fact, that means that every pre-born baby is a human. And I believe that all humans deserve the right to life and protection. And so from there, I think how can I not be this outspoken? 
If we truly believe that abortion is killing an innocent human being, how can we not use all of the resources we have, all of the time we have to dedicate ourselves to making sure that abortion stops and people are no longer dying? So for me, it's just how can I not be doing this, right? When we know what abortion is and we know the effects it has on women and families and communities and our country, how can we not use our voices to speak up? Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And I love something you said before we started this interview is that, you know, regardless of what I'm called or the hard work that it takes, like nothing is worse than abortion itself. And defending life is, is so much more valuable than, mm-hmm. than, you know, the hard days that might come or what, what people may think of me. So yeah. 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 It is hard to step outside of that comfort zone, especially in the beginning. You're not used to it. Uh, People attacking you, people you don't know on the internet. It's kind of a weird feeling. It's not something that's normal, right? It's just all of a sudden you're being attacked for something that you believe in by strangers that you don't even know. Right. But yeah. And it's super, it's super like emotionally charged from the opposing side. So you do get a lot of, a lot of backlash, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Well, Students for Life, they do a lot of grassroots activism and just spreading the word on social media for the pro-life movement. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what they do as an organization? And I know that you worked for them in D.C. during the um, confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And (laughs) would you want to talk about a little bit of what you did in D.C. and what you saw in D.C. and what activism looked like for the pro-life movement? Yeah. So Students Wife is an organization, like you said, um, they do a lot of different kinds of activism. Their main focus is starting pro-life groups on middle school, high school, and college campuses. Oh, awesome. the goal behind that is really to change the culture on your campus and to create a culture of life and to start those conversations because they want to give students a platform to be passionate about the pro-life movement. Because it's not, you know, you don't necessarily just walk into your school and just start talking about pro-life issues, right? It feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So they give you a platform um, and all the resources you need to start those conversations with your peers to have those heart-changing conversations. So that's a lot of what they do. Um, but they also are very active on social media and just making sure that they are sharing pro-life news and talking about the pro-life movement and changing hearts and minds that way because we know that social media can be really powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Social media can be used for evil, but it also can be used for, you know, spreading an important message like that. And I think that's part of the reason why the pro-life generation has grown so rapidly is because of social media. We've been able to reach people that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of what they do. But yeah, so last month, um, I guess it was October. Yeah. So we were in DC. I got a call from my boss on a Tuesday morning and asked if I could move to DC for a month on Thursdays. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. I packed as much as I could into my suitcase, hopped on a plane and I was off to DC. It was me and four of the girls. We were staying in a little Airbnb right in DC, which was really fun. We were walking distance to the Supreme court and we were basically out protesting every single day, wow. you know, from the start of the nomination hearings to the end, there was just all kinds of things going on. So it was definitely an interesting month. Uh, yeah. of just like craziest things I've done, but it was really, really fun. And then we were there during the Supreme Court nomination. So we were actually kneeling in front of the Supreme Court. I was uh, kneeling next to Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students Life. And we were praying um, while, you know, the votes were being counted. And then all of a sudden we just heard screaming and we looked up and everyone was cheering, screaming, ACB is confirmed. Oh, that's so oh, wow. Running around trying to figure out whether or not, you know, somebody had actually confirmed that because 
in that environment, it would be easy for one person to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this because we thought that the vote would take a lot longer, but none of the Democrats showed up. So that's why it was so quick. <laughs> a crazy moment um you know the entire month had led up to that and just I mean it was historic right that we now have a 6-3 Supreme Court and Amy Coney Barrett is one of the best nomination picks I could have even thought of you know absolutely a feminist icon and I think that she Mm -hmm. really embodies what a true feminist should be right she's able to stand in front of everybody and say you know, I did it all. Women can do it all. I didn't mm-hmm. compromise my family. I didn't compromise my marriage. I didn't compromise my career. I yeah. was able to accomplish everything. And she's a woman of faith, which I think is mm-hmm. so inspiring mm-hmm. with so many women. Um, but the feminists don't like her. And so it was interesting being there at the Supreme Court during the protests, during the Women's March, because all of them were anti-ACB, which was so interesting to me because I would think that a feminist would mm-hmm. want a woman on the mm-hmm. highest court in the nation, but yeah, you would think <laughs> how empowering <laughs> like, I remember saying, you know, so you're anti-ACB and they'd be like, yes, yeah. so, so you're anti-woman. Well, no. And then I was just like, no. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really, it was a really cool month for sure. Wow. Awesome. Do you want to, maybe before we go further and talking about pro-life stuff, do you want to just talk about what the role of a Supreme Court justice is? Because I hear a lot of misconceptions that now that ACB is on, she's going to get rid of abortions and she's, you know, going to make all these decisions herself when in reality, she doesn't have the jurisdiction to do that. So could you just explain what the role of, I mean, what her job is? Yeah. So that was something that I had a lot of conversations with people because, you know, they would get out there and they say, the moment she gets in, she's going to strip away everybody's rights. She's going to get rid of abortion. And I remember I would ask, do you even, do you know how the Supreme Court works, right? Mm -hmm. Cases move up the line and they go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices do not get to pick what cases they want to talk about. So it's a matter of whether or not a case goes to the Supreme Court in the first case and not a ton. You know, it's like, the percentage of cases in the United States and the percentage that actually go to the Supreme Court are small because it's the Supreme Court. Um, And then her job from there would to be applying the constitution to that case. So figuring out the validity of it and whether or not it complies with the constitution. And so something that I really appreciate about Amy Coney Barrett is she has said, you know, she will interpret the constitution and not let her personal convictions come into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people would say, well, she's just so religious. She's anti-LGBT. She's uh, anti-pro-life or anti-abortion, whatever it is. Um, But I think the thing that's really inspiring about Amy Coney Barrett is she said, you know, I will do my job. I will interpret the constitution and apply cases to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but then the question comes into, you know, well, what about Roe v. Wade? We really believe that if Roe v. Wade goes back to the Supreme Court, you know, it will be overturned. A lot of things about Roe v. Wade were flawed. You know, just the case itself in 1973, when it went to the Supreme Court, uh, Jane Roe, who was the woman involved, never even had an abortion. Um, Mm -hmm. She later became pro-life in her life. The reality Mm -hmm. of it is that you know, pro-choice lawyers found a young, vulnerable woman and mm-hmm. took advantage of her. That's yeah. the reality of the Supreme Court case and yeah. Jane Roe and how that was all involved. Um, but yeah, so Amy Coney Barrett, what she will do is sit on the Supreme Court and judge cases based on whether or not they're constitutional. And I think that she'll do a really amazing job. Um, she worked under Scalia. So her mm-hmm 
credibility is, is really phenomenal. You know, people will try to come at her and say, you know, she's not credible. She is to every standard. She is qualified. And I think that she's going to do a really good job. She's very professional. If you watched her Supreme court hearing, um, the nomination hearings, she's so well-spoken and mm-hmm. she's so intelligent. I think the mm-hmm. proof of that is her no notes, right? When they yep. said yep. she held up a blank page because the information is just in her brain. She yep. understands the process. She knows the legal system. She knows the constitution. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, what we need. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, she did so well during the confirmation and all that. I was so impressed. And just again, she's just such a she should be really a model for the feminist movement because she's done it all. She's so amazing. And yet they reject her. Um, So, well, I mean, because she is the embodiment of of what they say women can't be Mm. like she she embodies actual women empowerment. But the second she comes into a higher position, like they run and hide because, oh, wait, she's a woman who didn't sacrifice her children, didn't sacrifice her marriage, like you said, like, and she's still in a position of power and she's so intelligent. It, yeah. What yeah. I love about her is she carries herself with such a grace. Mm-hmm. When she was answering questions, she answered them so respectfully, but so like calm and just information-based. Whereas you watch other, like, you know, for example, Kamala Harris in the mm-hmm. debate, just the way that she answered questions was so as if she just instantly assumed people were looking down on her because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. And so it just, that's kind of the vibe you get from it. Like just, yeah. I felt like watching Kamala speak versus Amy Coney Barrett. There's just a different tone there, right? Like Kamala was constantly snapping back, you know, during the, and I get it. It's a different environment. It's a mm-hmm. debate, but I just loved the way that Amy Coney Barrett spoke the way that she holds herself. I think mm-hmm. that she really is a role model for a lot of women. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So going back to the topic of abortion, we talk about that a lot on our podcast and we do receive quite a bit of pushback um, on the topic. Um, But would you be willing to maybe respond to some of the common common responses that we get from pro-choice listeners? The first would be either way, if abortion is legal or illegal, women will get an abortion. And so we have to make sure that they are safe options so that like back alley and hanger abortions don't become a reality. Right. Um, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I do hear the claim that if we ban abortion, more abortions will happen. They'll just be illegal. There was actually a time in the United States where abortion was illegal. It was before 1973. And if you look at the statistics, not very many illegal abortions took place. So that's a good thing to look at, right? Is that Mm -hmm. it's not going to be hundreds of thousands of abortions taking place in a back alley. That's not the reality of it. When abortion is easily accessible, that's when the rates go up. But when it's illegal, legal, the rates go way, way, way down. Second of all, when they talk about legal and safe, there's no such thing as a safe abortion. In Mm -hmm. every successful abortion, somebody dies. Not only that, the mental, physical, and spiritual side effects that come to women is something the pro-choice side doesn't talk about. Mm -hmm. Women die from legal abortion every year. Women suffer anxiety, depression, and suicide, suicide rates go through the roof when an abortion happens that increases a ridiculous amount. Um, you know, there's a lot of women that have been very, very hurt by abortion. There's a lot of families, you know, there's a loss of motherhood. There's a loss of fatherhood. Siblings are losing siblings. You know, it's a very, very serious topic, but it also comes with a lot of 
side effects and negative uh, consequences that come with abortion. So I think that it's important to talk about all those things, that abortion is violent and abortion is not safe for women. Mm -hmm. The things that can happen in an abortion are are not empowering to women in any way, shape or form. And so I think that that's something that we need to continue to talk about because it's not appealing and it's, it's not something that's easy to talk about, but the pro-choice side is not going to bring it up. So I think pro-lifers need to be the ones to say, Hey, this is the reality of abortion because what happens is the pro-choice side doesn't want to talk about that on purpose because if they tell that to a young woman who's scared and pregnant, she probably won't get an abortion and they know that. And so they have to lie to her to kind of pressure her. Oh, it's easy. There's no risks. It's simple. You'll be fine. Right. That's how they get them in the doors. Um, And then what happens is a lot of women find themselves in a situation where they got an abortion because they didn't understand what happened. They didn't realize the procedure. I talked to this one woman and one of the most heartbreaking stories I've heard is she said she went in, they told her that she could just take a pill and everything would be done. You know, you take one in the office, you go home, you take the other, you'll have a light period the procedure is over. She said the next 24 hours were the worst 24 hours of her entire life. She was laying on her bathroom floor, bleeding out, literally thinking she was going to die because of the abortion, because they didn't tell her what was going to be happening. She said it was the worst pain that she has ever felt. She was completely alone and she had nobody to call and they didn't care. She called the Planned Parenthood the next day. They said it was normal. They said to take some ibuprofen and put a warm pad on her stomach. And she said she literally thought that she was going to die on that bathroom floor because Planned Parenthood lied to her. They didn't tell her what was going to happen, but they have to. Because if they were to explain that to women, how many women do you think would actually go get abortions? Yeah. And in what what way is deceiving and lying to women caring for them or empowering Mm -hmm. them? Like, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, on the topic of, you know, misinformation and the misconception of safe abortion, uh, we live in Nebraska and our legislature this past session just actually banned in a bill called LB814, they banned dismemberment abortion, which is when they, I'm sure you know, but just for our listeners, when they like tear the baby apart inside the womb limb by limb and then have to remove all the parts and count them up, all of that. And the ACLU chapter in Nebraska put out this statement saying, LB814 disregards Nebraska's Nebraskans' health and undermines their freedom to make personal decisions in consultation with their physicians. It puts a narrow ideological agenda over the patient health. It makes it a crime for doctors to use their best medical judgment because there is no medical reason for this ban. Health, not politics, should always be a guide in medical decisions at every point in pregnancy. But Dismemberment abortion, we started looking at, you know, the rates of injury after this kind of procedure, and it was insane. Some of the side effects were like one in 23 women suffer from this, and they were not like, you know, headaches. Yeah. It was like yeah. possible. Punctured, yeah, like punctured uterus and, yeah. and well, yeah, cervical you have tears. To go in with like a scraping tool, and they scrape the lining of the uterus to make sure they don't yeah. leave parts, because if they leave parts in, then there's Infection. more that come with that, right? And yeah. so- it's, it's really dangerous for women to go through abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you don't hear them talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never heard a pro-choice talk about the actual procedure, what happens, and then the risks that come with it. Yeah. yeah. And I was just so amazed because for the sake of the mother and the mother's safety, like we only banned a specific kind of late term abortion, which is not everything we want, but it is such a step in the right direction. But I was just so amazed with the backlash that this bill faced and the amount of misinformation that was surra- that it surrounded it. So um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think to sum that up for our listeners, the um, pushback was that, you know, either way, women will get an abortion. So we have to make it safe. And based off of what you said, Autumn, and what we talked about, I think the best response that we would give to our listeners to respond to this is, you know, define what an abortion is and explain how it's done. Because in doing that, you refute everything they said about the fact that abortion is safe in the first place. Yeah. And the truth is that like the legality of a procedure does not affect your safety. If dismemberment abortion was illegal, it would still be just as dangerous as if it was legal. Right. Exactly. And we, we know that abortion is killing an innocent human being. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, legalize something just because we know that it might still happen, right? Nobody would make the argument for, well, we could legalize murder, but people are still going to murder people. So what's the point, right? No, (laughs) abortion is murder and and murder is wrong. And, you know, in the other scenario, we would still say that murder should be illegal, right? Nobody would say, well, murder still happens. So let's just keep it legal just to make it a little bit safer for, it's like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Legality does not equal morality. And yes. we cannot just make something legal because we know that it might still happen. No, yeah. if something's wrong. We draw the line in the sand. Yeah. And I love what you said earlier before we started recording, but just even in a successful abortion, someone still dies. Right. That is so profoundly said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Going on to another one that we commonly hear, and I'm sure you hear it all the time that I would never get an abortion myself, but I don't want to take that right away from other women. How, how do you respond to that? Yeah. So that's something that I think is more of a conversation that needs to be had with that person. What I found is there's not really just like a quick, here's my response to it, right? Because you kind of need to figure out, okay, why? Is it because you feel like you don't have a right to tell somebody that abortion is wrong? Is it because you don't really believe abortion is wrong, right? Because if we believe abortion is wrong, then I think that we must say that it's wrong in all scenarios. That, yeah, your personal convictions may keep you from having an abortion, but if you believe abortion is wrong and it's murder, would you say the same for any other thing, right? Would you say, well, I wouldn't murder somebody, but I think that other people should have the right to murder somebody. No, I think that we really need to treat them the same to say abortion is wrong and we need to be bold enough to take a stance against that. But what I found is a lot of times when that argument is used, it's because people are uncomfortable speaking out about the pro-life movement Mm -hmm. and putting themselves out there. So it's kind of the middle ground, right? If I believe abortion is wrong, but I don't really want backlash. So I'm going to say that I think it's right for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's black and white. It's either you believe abortion is wrong or you believe abortion is okay. Um, and so I guess mm, my advice for dealing with that one is just kind of figure out where they stand. Um, and then if they say, well, abortion is wrong, I think that you need to draw the line of, okay, well then would you say the same thing about anything else that you think is wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, you know, you wouldn't sexually assault somebody, but you believe other people have the right? No, absolutely not. Nobody would say that. And so we need to treat them the same and, and be bold enough to take a stand against that. Yeah, that's very good advice to, instead of responding quickly to their claim, have a conversation and see where they're coming from. Um, And I think a lot of times you can get people to to finally give and say, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't think that anyone should have abortions. And then it's a matter of, you know, encouraging, encouraging them to be bold and confident about their beliefs and standing up for life. And, and I think that's, what a lot of people are being emboldened to do by seeing you on Instagram and the courage that you have and in standing up for life. So yeah, I just love what you're doing. 
Thank you. Yeah, I know it's it's been fun kind of to just like, I feel like part of my Instagram too is just, just, it's been such a fun community, community, right. Of just like connecting with other pro-lifers because it is easy to feel alone in this movement. And so Mm -hmm. it's been fun to be able to connect with other people and realize that no, we're not only on the right side, but we have good people on our side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question. What would you say to people who say that we shouldn't be imposing our religious views on political matters? Yeah, this is something that I get instantly. Actually, a lot of times when I'm having a conversation with somebody about abortion, they'll quickly stop the conversation and say, I have a question. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, are you a Christian? And they'll be like, well, yes, I'm never going to deny that. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Well, no, yeah, 100%. But we can have an entire conversation about the pro-life movement and why I'm against abortion and not bring up religion a single time. And I think as Christians, it's important to also study this the way that it's pro-science because when we're talking to people who aren't religious – we're not going to be able to connect with them in that same way, right? When we're having a conversation with Christians, it might look different. And I always tell people that, yes, I believe every Christian should be pro-life, but I understand that not every pro-lifer is a Christian. I work alongside some amazing activists who aren't religious at all. Mm. Uh, You know, Pro-Life San Francisco is an organization that is led by uh, my friend, Teresa. She is a liberal. She is an atheist, but she is one of the most pro-life people that I know. And it's Mm. so fun walking alongside her and fighting shoulder to shoulder just because we have such different worldviews, but we're able to come together because we understand that this is a a human rights issue, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a religious argument. It's saying that Science tells us, Princeton, Harvard, and several other very credible sources, 98% of scientists say that life begins at conception. We know that fact. And so from there, where do we go? Mm. When do human rights begin? And so for us, we would say, when you become a person, when you become human, when life begins at conception. Um, And so that's kind of the the way that I would run that argument is, okay, well then, yeah, I'm not telling you you should deny your faith or not talk about it, but I think that it is important for us to train ourselves to be able to have a conversation that's completely rooted in science so that when we're talking to somebody who's not religious, we're still able to meet common ground and find places where we agree and talk to them in a way that they will, you know, kind of be open to hearing and accepting that. Yeah, Um, definitely. Definitely. That's such a good response. So we went through some, some pushbacks of things that we hear. Is there anything else that you hear a lot that you would like to respond to? Yeah. Um, let me think. I know I do this a lot too on my Instagram. I'll ask people to, you know, give me pro-choice <laughs> arguments and then I'll tell how to respond to it because what I've learned is there is a response to every single pro-choice argument. And there's one that makes sense and is logical and is rooted in science. Um, one thing that I do think that can put people in a really uncomfortable situation and kind of back them into a corner, um, is what about when the mother's life is at risk? And I think that that can be one of the hardest ones to respond to if you don't really understand it, because then they're doing this because they want to make you look like you're anti-woman. The reality of it is that abortion is never medically necessary. And when you say this, they're not going to believe you. But there's something called the Dublin Declaration that is a essentially a petition of doctors who are declaring abortion is never medically necessary. And it may not make sense, but here's the thing. You know, in some scenarios, it is required for the mother to deliver the baby early because maybe there's a health risk or something's going on. But you need to go back to what the definition of abortion is. Abortion 
abortion is the direct and intentional killing of a preborn baby. That's different than delivering a child early, doing everything that you can to save it, using all the resources that we have. And, you know, whether or not that child survives, it may pass away. That's different than killing it inside of the womb. Mm. Both would be a tragedy if you lose the baby. But if you think about it, it's actually more work to to kill the child, because in that case, the way that it would work, especially if the if the child is further along, they would have to kill the child and then induce labor and the mother would have to give birth to the baby that's already dead versus giving birth to the baby alive and doing everything that you can to save it, to make sure that it survives and it has a chance. Mm-hmm. And with science, as it, as you know, it advances, we're able to, you know, protect life earlier and earlier, you know, we're able to save babies who are born at a really early age. Um, but that's different than directly and intentionally killing the preborn child beforehand. Um, but yeah, I think that it's important to understand that abortion is never medically necessary. And there Mm -hmm. is proof behind that. The Dublin declaration, that's always a resource that I direct people to. It has lots of information and doctors explaining exactly what that means. Um, because that can be a different, difficult one to face, right? Because you don't want to be like, well, you don't have to choose. Um, and that's that's the corner that they're trying to back you in is, okay, which one's more important, the mother or the child? Well, both yeah. because we're both human beings that are worthy of life. Wow, yeah. that's so good. And in every case, an emergency C-section is the best option to just deliver the child because the actual abortion process takes multiple days, you know, to yeah. unnaturally dilate the cervix and go through and that whole procedure. And is dangerous for women. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I had a conversation with a lady um, a couple of days ago, and she was telling me about her sister who uh, got pregnant with her husband, and they had different blood types that were not compatible together. So the baby inside her had a blood type that wasn't compatible with hers. And the doctors told her at seven months pregnant that she had to abort the baby because um, it was dangerous to deliver it. So at seven months, keep in mind, that's a dismemberment abortion. So in this procedure, Tragically, the the lady told me that her sister ended up passing away along with the child, which which is so sad and heartbreaking. But it's it this the logic behind it. Well, of course, if you're if you're dismembering the child and ripping its arms off, it's going to bleed, and then that blood that's incompatible with the mom's is is going to harm her. So mm. it just just the logic behind it. It you know it, of course it's not safe for the mom in any case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so next, why is abortion like a single issue for you and why will you always vote for pro-life candidates even if you don't agree with them on everything else? Yeah, so I always say vote pro-life first um, because I know that a lot of people are like, well, you're a single issue voter. Well, first of all, if I'm going to be single issue voter on anything, it's going to be the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will not vote for a candidate who's not pro-life first. After that, then I'll look at other things, right? You know, policies and all of that. But unless they're pro-life, I won't even consider consider voting for them because, you know, a lot of people say, well, the pro-life movement shouldn't be political. That doesn't matter. When you're voting, the pro-life movement shouldn't even be involved at all. So let's just, in our communities, be pro-life. But when it comes to political, it, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't even correlate. But the reality of is of it is that who we elect decides the laws that affect whether or not the preborn children in our country have rights. Um, and that's obvious, right? If we look at who our president is, you know, President Trump is the most pro-life president we've ever had. And he has done more for the pro-life movement than any mm-hmm. other president ever. Um, and so that's the reality. And that's the importance of voting pro-life first. I always tell people, you don't have to like Trump. 
you don't have to like anything about him. You don't have to like his personality. But when it comes to where he's at in the pro-life movement, you have to recognize that he is pro-life and he is the most pro-life president we've ever had, especially when we look at our alternative. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the most radical pro-abortion platforms we've ever seen. Not only do they support abortion all the way up to birth, they support it after birth. There's something called aftercare. They believe that even um, after the child is born, the mother would still have the decision of whether or not she wants to keep her child and kill it. And that was something that was legalized in New York, which was heartbreaking, but that's the reality of it. But if you think about it, it makes sense. If they're okay with killing a child 30 seconds before they're born in the mind, you know, what's, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas us, we would want to take a consistent stance and say, we don't believe that you should be able to kill babies at any stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is important. Voting matters. Um, yeah. And it unfortunately is political because they can make decisions. And so 100%, I don't think that we should be voting for somebody who's, who's not pro-life and who's not going to recognize the most basic human right, which mm-hmm. is life. Yeah. yeah. And if they're unwilling to protect life at the most vulnerable stage, what makes you think they're going to protect you or our country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's we trust somebody's character too. And you know, kind of where they stand on abortion and, you know, and when you believe that abortion is okay all the way up to birth, I, I don't necessarily trust your judgment for other things other than abortion as well. No. Wow. That's, that's crazy. I did not know about that, that they were accepting of killing the child after birth. That's, oh my gosh, that's well, crazy. Even like take it a step farther. If you're okay with killing a child 30 seconds after it's been born, then what's to keep you from killing it? a year after it's born. Like it's the same life. It's this, it's just different developmental stage. It's so discriminatory based on development. It's not, it's just such an injustice. Right. And that's, what's always so interesting to me is I can't imagine how pro-choicers are able to hold on to a strong stance because for me, I know that my stance is consistent. When life begins, that's when I believe that it should be protected. But when you start trying to find all these different markers, well, okay, whether or not it's dependable, right? When it can viable, when it can survive outside of the womb, that's when I believe that abortion should be illegal. And it's like, okay, well, what about a five month child? They're dependent on its mother. Yeah. If you leave a five-month-old baby on, you know, on a bed and walk away, it's not going to survive. So would you say that because it can't completely depend on its own, then then you should kill? Well, no. Well, what about somebody who's on life support? What about people who are, you know, in critical condition after a car accident and are completely mm. dependent on machines and doctors? Would you say that that they don't have a right to life because they can't completely, you know, be dependent on their own? No, viability is not what makes us a human being. What makes us a human being is our DNA. And when life begins at conception. And so I think that that's the thing is um, something that's interesting is when you're talking to somebody who's pro-choice, if you're able to really pinpoint when they believe abortion is okay and not okay, then you can then draw the line. Mm -hmm. If they say, well, at birth is when I believe that abortion is wrong. Okay. Well, what about five minutes before birth? They'd be like, okay, yeah, no, still wrong. Cause I guess there's same develop. Okay. Well, what about a month before that? You know, the more you draw the line, they realize it's like, okay, oh, well, I don't know where to draw. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. Cause it's not consistent. Um, and so I think that that's really powerful is if you're really able to pinpoint, okay, do you believe that there should be any restrictions on abortion? Do you think that in any circumstance it's wrong? And then if you can get them to agree to something like that, then you can draw, walk the line further and further and further back and get them to realize that the only thing that is consistent and makes sense is that when life begins at conception. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Autumn, 
Thank you for all that you do to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And being from the Midwest, I think that activism oftentimes gets a bad rap and is negatively looked on by the conservative movement and the pro-life movement. But I think it's just so undervalued. And while many people are willing to talk about their beliefs and talk about their standpoints, well, that's all good. Like you have to talk to people who disagree with you because if the only people hearing you are in your own echo chamber, then no minds are being changed. No progress is being made and nothing, nothing's being gained. So thank you for getting outside of your comfort zone and making a difference and actually putting in the work to save life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. what, so now, yeah. So in saying that, and since I hope, I hope our listeners are all fired up from listening yeah. to this and, you know, pa- feeling passionate. What now? What's your advice for yeah. how they should get involved, how they should start speaking out and being bold about life inside the womb? Yeah, I always tell people that, that, that activism doesn't just look like one kind of thing. And I think that that's what's really amazing about the pro-life movement is I promise you there is a type of activism that will work for you because I understand that not everybody's schedules are the same. Um, you know, a mother with five children who is a homemaker doesn't have the same time commitments as me, a 20 year old who works for a pro-life organization and does school online. Um, but I think that there are ways that all of us can put our pro-life convictions into action, whether that looks like social media, simply sharing about pro-life movement. I think one of the most powerful stories I've heard about activism is um, one of my co-workers at Students for Life, he said when he was in high school, he would just share pro-life content, reshare pro-life organization posts, just talk about it. And it wasn't until he was in college that he got a text from an acquaintance of his that said, hey, I know this is random, but I just felt like I needed to tell you because of your Facebook posts in high school, I was empowered to choose life. I kept my baby because of the things that I saw on your post. And it really made me think, and it made me realize the the reality of this and the gravity of it. And so he saved a life by simply sharing something on Facebook. And I think that that's, I mean, just so powerful, Mm -hmm. but it also proves that not everything that we do in the pro-life movement is seen. There's a lot of work that goes completely unseen, right? We don't know the effects of it, but we still need to be consistent um, and and, and sharing about the pro-life movement. So I think that just simply sharing on social media can put you out of your comfort zone. You'll probably get a couple of DMs of people who disagree with you, but I would say that it it is really important to start those conversations. Another really great and easy way to get involved is reaching out to your local pregnancy center. And this is an amazing way to connect with women in your community and and help them directly, whether that's fundraising for them, whether that's gathering baby items. They're always looking for blankets and books and diapers and and baby clothes and all of that kind of stuff. And if you're able to gather that for them, you know, do a diaper drive, something like that and donating it. um, Mm. That's an amazing way to get involved. And they're also always looking for volunteers. I'm sure right now they probably have options to help virtually to, whether it's answering phone calls. Um, So I would say definitely reach out to your local pregnancy center. Another really easy way to make a difference is go to Planned Parenthood, stand on the sidewalk and pray. Um, Planned Parenthood's own statistics, this was talked about in the movie Unplanned, there's up to a 70% no-show rate when there are pro-lifers standing on the sidewalk praying. That means up to 70% of women who have appointments for abortions don't walk in those doors because they see you standing there and praying. And if anything, it gets them to think twice about it. It gets them to reschedule their appointments. It gets them a little bit more time to really think about whether or not they want to do that because so many women make that decision out of fear and panic. Then they go through with it and they realize maybe that's not what I really wanted to do, but it's too late. And so if we can be there to offer alternative resources, direct them to the local 
pregnancy center or direct them to the nearest federally qualified health center, that's a direct way that we can stop abortion and make a difference. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I would say is join or start a Students for Life group. Uh, Students for Life will give you all the resource, resources you need to be passionate and outspoken about the life movement. They have a regional coordinator that's dedicated to helping you. So you will have a person that you can call, you can text, you can email with any questions. They'll also do training so you can get your pro-life group together and they'll come and do an apologetics training or they can even do it via Zoom where they will Mm -hmm. teach you how to respond to the most common pro-choice arguments. They'll walk you through the science of, you know, the pre-born and how they develop and the different stages of it. They will make sure that you are well-equipped to have heart changing conversations, whether it's on your campus or in your community or in your church or just with family members. Um, and then there's also some really amazing opportunities to be active. So uh, Students Life is always doing stuff. Um, they'll let you know if there's protests or rallies or marches in your area. So it's just a really great way to be connected and stay in, in the loop with the pro-life movement. Um, and then, yeah, the community that you'll build as well within Students for Life is really phenomenal. Just to have a group of pro-life students that you can bounce ideas off of and just feel like you're not alone yeah, is really yeah. important too, I think. Wow. Well, I want to join. So <laughs> yes. awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your advice. Oh, and great. yeah, th- just thank you for what you do. Yeah. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm not super active on Facebook, but I am on the Students for Life Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, I would just go to Students for Life, give us a follow. Um, we share all kinds of stuff. So you'll stay up to date on pro-life news, what's happening, you know, victories in the pro-life movement, all that kind of stuff. We highlight it. Um, but then I also have my personal pro-life Instagram. It's autumnlindsay.life. I share pro-life content, you know, kind of just up to date on what I'm doing in the pro-life movement. And then I also have a website too, which is just autumnlindsay.life. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where you can find me just awesome. doing all that I can in the relationship. <laughs> yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation was so awesome and so fun and we hope to have you on soon again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks yeah. for having me. See you all, including you, our listeners at the March for Life in DC this winter and message us if you're going to come and let's meet.